How's it going, guys? Welcome to episode 68 of Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne, and today I'm joined, as always, by my best friend, George Frizzard. Hey, guys, what's up? Haha, <laughs> we changed up the script. This <laughs> week, we're reviewing The Curse of La Llorona in segment two, but before we get into the show, do we have any emails or reviews, George? Uh, just checked, and I believe we do not have anything new. We're still sitting at those 63 iTunes reviews, um, and I don't believe we got any new emails or messages on our Facebook. Help us out, guys. Review the show. It, uh, it helps us come up the ranks on iTunes. It's really, really easy. Just go over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, tell us why you like the show. And if you want us to read a message on here, you can just email us at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com. And anyways, George, what games have you been playing? Um, well, last week, you and I played a decent chunk of Fallout 76. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot of Fallout <laughs> last weekend. Yep. And uh, I've been playing a little bit of Sekiro, chipping away at that. Uh, this morning, I beat, I believe the boss's name was uh, jo- Joro the Drunkard. Dude, that guy was hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've been playing Sekiro 2. I got pretty far in it. I'm having fun. It's pretty good. Uh, so that guy is is a weird boss because you kind of have a summon for him. Yeah. Like you have an AI NPC fighter. I didn't know you had those in this game. Yeah. I, I don't know if that is something that happens every once in a while with bosses. Like if they, that's a thing in later ones or if they just kind of throw you a bone because this is one of the earlier bosses or, or what. But yeah, uh, there was an NPC where you talk to him and he kind of rushes in and helps you beat some of the additional NPCs ads that are kind of running around. So it's nice to have him as a distraction. But yeah, that boss was definitely a tough one. <laughs> so the way I did that boss was I stealth killed like everyone, everyone I could there. Mm-hmm. And then I got a stealth health bar takedown on um, the big guy, the, yeah, the actual that's, boss. That's what I had to do too was kill everybody and then yeah. get a stealth hit on him just to get rid of his one health bar because he is a total bastard if you fight him one-on-one with like all those guys around you yeah he was hard and then after him it gets a lot harder obviously but i'm on the like the next real boss like with cutscenes and everything and he's he has three phases which is annoying he's pretty hard so i, I stopped playing uh when i i tried to fight him a couple times but i, I had worked in the morning so i went to bed but I know where I'm at, and I just have to beat him, basically. I'm, like, at his fight. Yeah, I'm at the Lady Butterfly fight. I've been able to beat her first phase <laughs> a few times, but she's really a little, a little difficult for me. <laughs> that game, I don't think it's... I think it's easier. I think it's an easier Souls game. I've gotten... I was able to get really far in it in one night. I started over, and I basically got past her. I got past the bull after her, and then all the way up to the next boss. And once you just learn how to parry right, it's not, it hasn't been too hard. There was one boss, though, who's at the, like, early part of the game where you meet this little kid who's, I guess, like, a dragon or some shit. And uh, they basically put a boss there, and he has a spear, and that guy was really hard to kill. That took me a while. I was like, fuck. Gotta hit those good uh, Mercury counters. Yeah, that kind of helps, but with bosses, he, like, they can stagger you after you do them. Right. So then I was just kind of, like doing the classic Dark Souls and just staying on their side and just chipping away at them. Well, that's kind of helpful, too, because the lower their health, the more their posture damage they take and the longer it takes for it to kind of cool down. So chipping away at them is beneficial in a way. It doesn't feel like wasted efforts. 
Yes, and so so far I really like it. I think they they did a really good job, you know, paring down the things that needed paring down for a game like this, and then expanding the things that need to be expanded. I found a few of the weapons too. I just got the butterfly shield, that or like the the umbrella shield. That's mm-hmm. what it is. That one's pretty cool. And uh, I got something else. Oh, a spear. I got a spear. That's pretty sweet too. Nice. So that game's good. And then we played Fallout last week until like five in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> that, was uh, that was really fun. My, my entire night on Friday to Saturday morning last weekend, but we we got a lot done. We definitely did. Yeah, we leveled you up a few levels. We built you a house, a little shack by the Riverside Manor. Yep. Uh, we did a lot of questing, and then we beat we a scorch killed. beast. <laughs> yeah, I. I took George to this pumpkin house, which is a real place in West Virginia. I don't. I want to go there. I want to see this really bad. But it's this house is just absolutely riddled with pumpkins, like jack-o'-lanterns. It looks awesome. They put it in the game since the Fallout War happened around Halloween. And I want to show it to George. I'm like, ah, there's a bunch of low-level guys around there. No big deal. And the second we get there, one of the hardest bosses, enemies, <laughs> I guess, in the game. So we took down the Scorch Beast. I got it down to, like, one health. And then George finished him off, and it basically gave you, like, a whole level, right? Yeah, it was a good chunk of my level 9 to 10 experience bar, <laughs> so that that was nice. <laughs> yeah, and then, so Saturday night, the, the following day, uh, you were busy, so I played with Ethan and Grayson, who are listeners of the show, and they're really active in our Discord, and we got a lot done. We did the whole Brotherhood of Steel questline, and that was pretty sweet. There's a really cool dungeon attached to that, and you get some pretty sick power armor at the end of it so i'm like i think i'm level 49 so i'm one away from the the like top level and that's the cap the cap is 50 you can keep leveling after that but i think you stop getting perk cards at 50 like that's when you've unlocked them all like all the available ones and then from there you you get levels and those give you respec points basically so i'm gonna try out the the new dungeon that was added in tonight with uh either you ethan and grayson or at least just try it out and i want to finish the enclave quest line that's my other goal yeah the definitely a lot of content in that game and it was a lot of fun to play together yeah another game that i was thinking of checking out is this is bizarre but world war z so yeah yeah this is a strange one it was not on my radar at all until you started bringing it up but it actually looks pretty cool it wasn't on my radar at all until this week, and I saw other people talking about it. But it's like a Left 4 Dead style game with third-person shooting. It's apparently like 30 bucks, and you can get it on PlayStation, Xbox, and it's on the Epic Game Store. And basically, I think I think the story is, I don't know the exact specifics, but it's made by Saber Interactive, who made Vampire, which is a game that I really liked last year. And they were working on a multiplayer mode for Days Gone. Look how many zombies we can put in this multiplayer mode. And Sony like had them start working on it. And I guess at some point Sony is like, we don't want a multiplayer mode for this game anymore. So they spun it off and turned it into a World War Z game because of the one mechanic from that movie where the zombies can kind of like pile on each other and create a wall, like climb up a wall that way. Right. And I've watched like all the big game websites have sort of skipped it, but I watched the Before You Buy from our friend Jake. Uh, we had him on the show like almost a year ago now, um, him and Andrew, who do the Because Video Games podcast, they work at Game Ranks. I watched their video on it, and that was really good. It made me made me kind of consider picking it up, but um, it's apparently got some pretty good maps. It takes place all over the world. I guess there's like a Jerusalem map, and the, each like location has three different maps in it. So you've got 
and it's like basically left for dead where you have to like turn on a generator or you know turn on the power for this area but uh apparently the shooting's pretty good it's got a class system with a skill tree and everything and i was watching some gameplay and seeing all those zombies on screen looked really cool yeah um yeah, so between that and uh, the comments on the Before You Buy video, it seems like a lot of people who have been kind of testing it out seem to like it a lot, so it seems like the mechanics are pretty good and it's a it's fun. And, and, I mean, it's just a weird IP to kind of latch on to. The I World know. War Z is just like such a strange title to, to be a part of, but it, it definitely makes sense like within fiction, since that book is about like stories about the zombie outbreak from around the world why you could have levels in New York and one in Tokyo and one in Madrid and kind yeah. of go all over the place. It's it's a smart way to have a lot of level variety and still kind of attach your name to a big name. Now, I don't know if people that, that'll actually sell anything or, <laughs> like, I don't know if people who are fans of the book are going to go out and buy this game, but uh, it, it's a cool that they're using the IP well. Yeah, it's weird that... Um, it's an Epic Game Store exclusive because this is the kind of game that I feel like would sell really well with word of mouth. But Epic Game Store, as far as I know, doesn't have user reviews. That's like one of their things. They said they were never going to add them and they kind of turned around and they're working on it. But I don't know. I, I would have liked to see user reviews. But yeah, the game, the game ranks comments were all really positive. Uh, the reviews are going from like sixes all the way up to eights. So it seems like a solid game, like a yeah. good platform, which they could probably fix whatever's wrong with it if it sells well which it seems like it is right i mean it looks like more people are picking this up than i i expected like i said it wasn't really on my radar but people who have been trying it out seem to like it so this might be a fun you know left for dead sequel that we're never going to get yeah and uh, jake from game ranks also pointed out that you can play the all of this game single player and uh offline so it's it's not an online only game which is what yeah. it looks like so that's I wonder cool. how the ai is yeah, I want to see. I want to. I might just get it. It's like thirty bucks. I'm gonna probably get it for the podcast. But we want to let you guys know about that, and uh, see see if maybe any of you played it. You should let us know. But George, I'm getting getting a transmission <laughs> incoming from Doctor Loomis. We have a Halloween alert this the, deep into 2019. The poor man's dying again in 2019. So this Halloween five business is we're in its head <laughs> it's again. the best best way to describe it the halloween five business <laughs> yeah it keeps coming back so basically there's a lot of unshot footage from that movie i guess is the gist of what's going on there's some cool scenes that apparently would make that movie better and one of them involved michael massacring a swat team which you actually kind of hear in the movie he you hear him through a radio killing a bunch of uh, police officers and apparently they shot that and it was supposed to like cut to clips from that scene as the scene played out i don't really know why they decided to cut that out of the movie because it sounds really cool but the team over at halloweenmovies.com they started searching for this lost footage and they talked to the michael myers from that movie don shanks and he said oh i took out haddonfield swat team uh he said i killed a whole bunch of people the scenes <laughs> took place at a hospital the place where danielle's character left from if you remember, the police got on the radio in the film and they say he's here and the whole SWAT team, which is stationed at the Myers house, gets in their cars and they drive off. And there's one guy left up in the house with Danielle in the bedroom. And then there's one guy down below in a police car on the street and over the radio he hears people screaming. So that's where the SWAT massacre scene was to be just before that. Uh, then he talked about how Michael Myers picks up an M16 during this part. He said, there's one guy, I mean they show it, when they're talking 
taking out one of the bodies whose head is twisted around. They put the wardrobe on him backwards and he looks like his head's been twisted 180 degrees. <laughs> and another, the direction was take an M16 rifle and you're just walking through these guys and killing them. There's Don, there's Don Ray Samson, a big tall guy that I kill. And another one, I put the M16 through his head and another guy, I break his neck and stomp on him. You know, the whole idea was you'd hear everybody screaming when he's killing everybody. So we did all these really quick shots, pick this guy up, knock this guy down, stab this guy. So in my head, it looks really cool because I imagine Michael Myers, but then I start imagining him in the Halloween five mask. And I'm like, <laughs> this is debatably cool. And it's not clear if he actually shoots someone with an M16, which would be insane. I mean, the last time we see Michael use a gun in Halloween 4 when he picks up the shotgun, he stabs someone through a wall with it. So I'd assume he's just using it more as a club than he would be a rifle where he's actually shooting dudes. But it's still, it's, it's always interesting to see Michael Myers with a gun in his hand. Yeah, so that's a weird part from that movie. I always remember the Cinemassacre review when he's like, what, is he going to shoot someone with a knife? (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. I want to see this just because, like, I love Halloween. And even though reviewing all those movies took it out of me pretty much, I would would still really like to see what's going on with uh, with this, this footage. And I'm glad they're finding stuff. It's always good when you can document footage that wasn't put in the movie or whatever. And honestly, I think they could do something similar with Halloween 4. I think that should be what they were are doing, but um yeah, that's that's like all this new footage. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, those guys at uh, halloweenmovies.com never sleep. They're they're always compiling all this new stuff. They're they're getting down to the nitty-gritty with these <laughs> you know, getting the old film rolls and all that. So it's interesting. It'll be it'd be cool to see kind of what was cut and maybe do like a Halloween Five producers cut. I I think it'd just be interesting to see like what this missing footage would be like if it was all cut together the way it should have been. This seems primed for something like a Scream Factory Blu-ray where they yeah, re-release definitely. it, or at least put it on Shutter. Maybe you know make it a Shutter original like Halloween Five, the unseen cut with yeah. Michael Myers <laughs> holding an M16. <laughs> I mean, Um, I'd watch that on that, like, the thumbnail I'm imagining in my mind, I'd watch whatever video that was attached to immediately. The weirdest thing is, I'm pretty sure that HalloweenMovies.com is owned by Trancast, so it's like, what, why, like, why can't you just get the footage? You're you're owned by the company. Maybe this is like a, yeah, it's a marketing scheme to get hype up around the movie before they release this kind of cut of it. Yeah, so that's fun. I will keep my eye on that for sure. But in much more exciting news, George, turns out that Hell House LLC 3, the finish of the trilogy, begins filming in 12 days. Steven Cognetti, who's the director, producer, pretty much everything behind this movie, he tweeted, we begin filming Hell House 3 in 12 days. <laughs> so straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah, you, you don't get more much more direct than that, but uh, it, that's cool. Um, I, liked, I think we both kind of came out relatively positive on the second part. Um, and I think this, the first one is like a, one of the better found footage horror movies ever made. So, uh, I think if they do the third one, well, I'm, I'm all in for it. That movie is just so good. The first one, it's just, it's so good and it doesn't get enough credit for how good it is. <laughs> <laughs> the second one, it's rough, but like if you're into the lore and what the, what he's building on a budget of nothing, I think right. it's pretty cool. And hopefully this time around with the third one, uh, 
Shutter or whoever wants to put it on their streaming service is there from the beginning and not <laughs> right after he says he's going <laughs> to release it. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to you know throw it up on Amazon. And, yeah, because uh, that, that was the weird thing with the second one, where it had a release date, then it was kind of pulled, then it was in limbo, and then Shudder said they were releasing it as a Shudder original. So uh, it, it was weird how kind of ambiguous the entire, like, not only budgeting, but distribution was around the movie. So hopefully this has a more stable footing, and, and maybe they can get a couple bucks out of Shudder to beef it up a bit. It, like, had a release date. Uh, it was, And on the day it was supposed to come out, he's like, unfortunately, Hell House LLC 2, the Abaddon Hotel, will not be releasing today. I will announce why very soon. And then yeah. he's like, it's coming out on Shutter, baby. And then, like, a really soon turnaround. Like, I, I thought that was cool. Just hopefully they go into it with a strategy this time instead of, you know, you know it all just falling to, into place at the last second. Yeah. Um I don't know, it seems like they probably have gotten it a little bit better nailed down at this point after the second movie. Um, I mean, I have no idea how well it did on Shudder, but I'd assume that if the second one was picked up that late in the game, that the third one will also release on Shudder. But, um, I don't know, I like the series, and I'm excited to see the third one and have it start filming in 12 days. I'm going to need a Blu-ray combo pack, like, ASAP. I need it. (laughs) Of all three. Like... Uh, and he said, so he tweeted out this image with it of Hell House LOC t-shirts, and I want one. Yeah, I really want th- one. That and uh, a gray pullover hoodie. So, um. Steven, hook your boy <laughs> up. Yeah, hook your boys up with some Hell House Please. LLC, Hell House LLC merch. We we definitely love the movie. Yeah, it's been like a month since I've watched it, so might have to do that. <laughs> Dude, what if that's one of the Joe Bob movies? Either one. Honestly. That would be awesome. I'd love to it, hear Joe Bob commentary on that. And, and it seems like it would fit because it's like kind of a low budget movie. It has a like a one man directing force behind it that's like his entire vision. And I feel like Joe Bob would really appreciate something like that. Yeah, like Stephen Cognetti seems like the chillest dude. You know, he's just like coming out here on Twitter. He's like, we're shooting in twelve days. You know, <laughs> cut and dry kind of dude. I want to see this man on Joe Bob's show. Like, yeah, why hasn't him. he been on there? See him interview him would be awesome. Uh, get him yeah. on the set and, and have him hang out. I mean, they obviously have that Shutter connection. He released the second one through there, so it doesn't seem like too far out of the realm of possibility. Right. I had a great conversation with him. When I watched the movie for the first time, I was like, did you edit this in Final Cut? He was like, yeah. Cool. <laughs> I can tell. Because <laughs> that's what I edited. I was like, oh, I see some tricks you're using here. And he was very nice. So that's awesome. I'm very excited for that, obviously. So some other exciting news you have on here is that Escape Room director talks sequel rooms, mythology, and returning stars. So (laughs) this is definitely going to be a new franchise, George, which is crazy because the movie, it was weird. It was okay. I think it was okay. I don't think it was was very mediocre, but it made a huge return at the box office. So, you know, anything that can be... Obviously, this is a series that would be pretty easy to uh, manipulate into a series, uh, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five movies. Um, they could easily make that into this, and it seems like with the return they got on the first one, there's no way they're stopping that at this point. Yeah, and it felt like, you know, they gave him this movie Escape Room, right? And he was making it and making it. And then they were like, shit, this is, this is turning out really good. <laughs> so they let him reshoot pretty much half the movie to make it into a franchise deal. And so hopefully right, and this time the, like, he gets a budget and, like, can, you know, do what he wants to do. 
Right, because, I mean, the stinger at the end of the first one is kind of, in my opinion, like, half-assed. Like, it, it just feels really weird and tacked on. But yeah. it, it, but if he has a greater plan in mind for how all those pieces work together, I can forgive the tacked on any of the first one if it leads into something bigger and better in the sequels. Yeah, so he basically was talking about working on the sequel, and he said, uh, we did fire, gravity, ice, cold, gas, so we need to outdo ourselves. We're in the box. He said, I can't draw and quarter somebody, so what are those visual ticking clocks? We have some really cool stuff we're developing, and hopefully the audience will think that way too, but tougher. We did the greatest hits in the first movie, so the road gets narrower as it goes on. How do you give the audience what they're expecting from an escape room movie, but also not? The exact same thing the first movie did. But also not the exact same thing the first movie did. So we're really trying to iron out all that right now. We're knee-deep in it, developing the sequel. We're exploring various ideas with how it plays out. And um, that's like that's what he's got to do, right? It's basically Saw. That's what this is. It's like a modern right. reinvention of Saw. He's got to right. come I up mean, with it's, more escape rooms. Yeah, it's making very inventive rooms that will kill whoever's in it. And, you know, they have to solve some kind of puzzle. Or it's just, you know, it's making a lot of cool set pieces with, like Rube Goldberg machines, essentially. So if you can keep those, you know, keep a, enough fresh ideas, I can see this series staying pretty consistent as it goes. Oh, okay, yeah. And then later on in this interview with Bloody Disgusting, they asked him about that airplane escape room at the very end of the movie, and it turns out that was a reshoot to replace the film's original ending. And yeah. it expanded the... So we were just, like, speculating on something that's completely true. Um, he said I think the implication is that Minos is far more widespread than the halls of power in our society than we realize he said so he's this is it like right so he proved himself and now he's getting to actually expand this into a bigger thing right he's got Uh, his Illuminati built into the end of the first movie he can build on that and have them keep making bigger better escape rooms more crazy more extravagant and that'll those will be what the sequel is. I mean, they obviously left the two of the main characters alive at the end of the first movie, so they can probably continue using them for the rest of the series, or do a you know fake kill one of them, bring them back in the fourth one or something. That is that's exactly how it's gonna play. It's gonna be like a saw thing. Maybe one of them joins the this like Illuminati team and starts helping them design the escape rooms, much like uh, what was her name, Amanda and Saw. Yeah, Amanda. I, you, you could just you know it, it, it's basically <laughs> you could see this road. Right, you can exact you can see exactly how it could play out in front of you, and and I don't think this would, uh, be any anything less than a huge piggy bank. I feel like everyone that comes out would make big money. Yeah, if you put out a halfway decent movie in January, you're straight. Like you're fine. You're gonna make a ton of money. <laughs> Definitely. But, I mean, it was weird with the with escape room <laughs> the ending being reshot and everything because not only did it like look like a different movie but it looked much better at the end so it feels like they pumped a bunch of money into that ending reshoot yeah and i mean if they can keep you know a higher level of quality in the sequels i'm i'm all for watching and i think the first one was okay but i would for sure watch a sequel i think it's a fun idea the next news story we have here is probably the biggest one of this week we finally got the second trailer for child's play and there's there's a lot to talk about with this one, George. What you what did you think of this trailer? Um, so the trailer actually surprised me. It looks better than I was expecting. Um, the only things that really kind of bug me about it are I don't really like um, some of the Chucky animations. I mean, there's like a couple short clips where we see him like picking up a knife or kind of dragging on the floor or moving around a little bit, and and I don't think necessarily the animation of the doll looks the best. Um, but the voice is amazing. Um, I I really do like 
what Mark Hamill is doing with the Chucky voice. And I think what they're setting up in the plot um, of this trailer seems interesting, and it seems like a fresh enough take where it feels different from the original, not just a you know a carbon copy. So you know, anytime a director kind of takes a stab at at something that is a defined staple of the horror genre, I think if they at least can put their own twist on it, I'm happy with seeing kind of how they envision that character. Yeah, I think every single aspect of that trailer, except for the doll, was great. Like, Mark Hamill, voice excluded. The, it just didn't look right. The, it, there's a shot at the very end of it uh, where he smiles, and it's a very quick shot. And you can tell throughout this entire thing, they're trying to hide Chucky. They're obviously <laughs> not confident in the way he looks. You never actually see him speak with his lips moving. You hear him say, good night, Andy. But it's that same fucking shot from the last trailer right. where he's looking up completely covered in shadow. And every other shot where he's featured in the trailer, like where he peeks out from behind the bookcase, he's washed in shadow. Now, the weird thing is, I went and saw The Curse of La Llorona last night in Dolby, and it was very bright, that shot, and I saw him peek out. You can see his whole body in, in the Dolby screening, and it's, really? it doesn't look good at all. It, yeah, no. I'm, <laughs> I, I think they... The, the trailer we saw might be different than the one that they're putting in theaters because the whole thing was a little bit brighter, but specifically those shots, it was much easier to see Chucky. So they were aware that this doll doesn't look good. And that's just a fact of the matter. But yeah. what happened, the way, so I did a trailer breakdown of this and it actually worked out really well. They leaked this trailer the night before it was supposed to come out. So on Wednesday, it showed up on YouTube in high definition at like 8 p.m. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason. And so I was like, huh. So I downloaded it. I recorded my trailer breakdown. But since it leaked, I didn't want to get my video taken down. So I waited until um, like midnight and then I went to bed. They never released the trailer. So I told you if it drops before uh, 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. my time, uh, call me repeatedly. And you did, <laughs> but my phone just never went off. It just said I had missed calls because I had the 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 sound on so apparently they they realized that it leaked and they were like fuck it they dropped it at like three in the morning my time which is terrible so i ended up posting my video around seven or something so it was still really early and it did pretty well uh but i really i liked the trailer i was impressed with it for the most part like i was it was better than i was expecting like i wasn't expecting garbage but i wasn't expecting the performances to be as good as they were and i definitely wasn't expecting the shot work to be on as, as on point as it is it doesn't it just look like a high like higher quality movie than you were kind of expecting yeah i mean i was expecting it to be kind of like a low budget just kind of cash in where you know they'll give it five million dollars or whatever and just kind of if it looks like shit it looks like shit but you know they're gonna make a mint on it anyway it could look like dog shit or it could be you know they could put 20 million dollars in the cinematography and it doesn't matter because they're still going to make a bunch of money on it um but it, it does look like well like you're saying well shot um the, the only thing that like really kind of bugs me about it is it's obviously a christmas movie there's yeah. scenes in the trailer of christmas lights and it's snow on the ground and it makes sense that like you know uh, andy would be getting uh the chucky as a christmas gift it's just weird that they're putting that out in the like early summer when it's like obviously originally intended to be a Christmas movie. Yeah, it's that is bizarre. And honestly, the big problem here is that the doll 
it looks like CGI in the trailer when Chucky smiles. Allegedly, that's not true, but I watched it so many times. It looks like CGI touch-ups, no matter how you spin it. And regardless of that fact, it looks bad. Like, it just looks bad. Whether it's animatronics or it's fucking CGI-aided animatronics, it doesn't look right. So if they had this movie that's set around Thanksgiving or Christmas, why not hold it back and figure out how to, how to make the doll look good? It's You don't have that much competition this fall, but on the day they're releasing in June, they're going up against Toy Story 4. Like, right. <laughs> it's in, it's insane, dude. The, the whole marketing strategy behind this movie has been ridiculously bad. Just bizarre. Totally nuts. Right, because they have all these, like, trump cards, these big things that they can talk about it that would really kind of change the public opinion, like when they drop the big, like, Mark Hamill's The Voice of Chucky, and, like, they have these other things, and they just, like, aren't saying anything until a month before the movie comes out, and <laughs> you'd think that they'd want, like, as much goodwill going into this movie as possible, but they uh, aren't doing the best job of shifting public opinion that way. Yeah, and since they've released so many official posters that feature a different-looking doll, yeah, people definitely. are like, what's going on? They put out one last week, that announced this trailer was coming, right? Or earlier this week. And it shows Chucky from top to bottom, but it's clearly an airbrush touched up photo of this doll. So then you get the one in the trailer. It looks nothing like that doll. The hair is completely different. The eyes are in the wrong spot. Like the face is rounder for some reason. It's weird. Stop. It's like, sell it as is. Stop selling a better doll to us because when we see it in the movie, it's not going to look right. It's going to look, and we're going to think it looks worse than we would have if you had just shown off what it looks like from the very beginning. Right. Like, why so build it weird. up to be something that it's not when we're going to watch the movie and it's going to look like it does? So <laughs> I don't know how you can really hide that. Yeah, and I, I like the Stranger Things vibe and the, the It Chapter 1 vibe, but it's just weird that they're going for this kid-centric plot that's going to be rated R. It's like, I don't understand. Yeah, and um, it seems like also a lot of the people who are really excited for this movie and hyped for it are a younger demographic. So that's weird too, that like it's appealing to kids, but it's R rated movie and it centers around a child. And like, that's fine. Obviously. I mean, kids have proven to be good actors in the past, but it just seems like a strange choice all around to, <laughs> to have it be like a hard R, I guess with this like very young demographic who are going to be the main people that want to go see it. Yeah, and there seems to be a really big sticking point for people where um, they don't think the Andy in this movie is, uh, they think he's too old to have a doll. And I, I completely agree. I think it's set up well in this in the sense that, like, uh, like you know, he he's kind of a bullied kid. And uh, he wants this doll because he doesn't have any friends. But still, it's just weird. It, it's kind of weird because, like, if that's the way they're spinning it, where, like, his mom gets him a toy because he's he's bullied and he has no friends, and this will be, like, his only, you know, his friend at the end, his only friend or whatever, that's, like, kind of weird, because, like, it doesn't even matter if you're a 13, 14-year-old kid, why would you become friends with a doll? It just doesn't seem right. I, I, I could get it if the angle was, you know, he's this kind of loner and he doesn't have any friends and so his mom's trying to help and she gets him this doll and he's like great yeah this will really help me get friends i'm gonna be a 14 year old kid walking around with a doll like thanks mom <laughs> you, have, I, you have no idea what you're doing like, yeah i, I can understand that angle but not the like he wants it angle 
I, yeah, I just don't get it. And, you know, obviously the doll's going to betray him. He's going to have to team up with these kids who live in his building. And they're going to have to kill the doll because no one believes them that it's alive. You know, that's like right. that's how this movie's going to play out. It's cut and dry as hell. But I just don't know, dude. It just... The, it, it's it's proven that it does have reason to exist because it's telling a modernized story, but it just seems like they're, you know, the delayed effect of them rushing so much to get this movie out instead of taking their time with it, shooting it the way it should be shot, getting the doll looking right, you know, putting actual time and effort into the marketing strategy. All that stuff is coming back to bite them in the ass right now, and I feel like they totally deserve it. <laughs> it's like they they knew what they were getting into by rushing everything, and now they're re- they're feeling the consequences of that, and they're acting like "woe is me," like "oh, I'm the victim here." It's like you're not. Like you fucked up make- marketing this movie. You fucked up making this movie. So you need to figure it out and fix it. I think they should delay this movie, fix the way the town looks, and release it around November or Christmas. You know? Yeah, and, and like you're saying, it's weird that they're so dead set on putting it out in June when they don't really have a lot of competition throughout the. Th- this movie could come out whenever. And it would still do really well. It's not like it being out in the summer is some, like, it fits thematically or it'll make more people go see it. It just seems like, for some reason, that's an arbitrary date they put down and they don't want to betray that for some reason. Yeah, and they went through all this effort to get people like Aubrey Plaza and Brian Tyree Henry and uh, Gabriel Bateman and Mark Hamill on board. You've got all of these people who are actually invested in this movie. Like, I saw Mark Hamill watching people's YouTube videos about the trailer yesterday and responding to them on Twitter. You have all of this goodwill from the actors involved with this movie. You keep gushing about how great the script is. I feel like you owe it to them to make sure the rest of the movie that's on you, like how the doll looks and how it's marketed, I feel like you owe it to them to get that shit right. And so far they haven't at all. Like every single aspect of this movie's marketing has leaked at least 24 hours <laughs> before. That's ridiculous. Can you imagine if that happened with Halloween? Right. Like, come on, dude. It's embarrassing. Like, like I, it worked out for me, right? I got to make a YouTube video 12 hours early and post it when the trailer posts. Like, that's great. But it's just, like, that shouldn't happen with a theatrical right. movie. Right, it, it just is a indicator of, like, poor quality control on their part of the people who are in charge of the movie. And that's doesn't bode really well, especially when you're working with a series that has a dedicated following that and a, like, beloved horror icon in it. Yeah, you're doing a disservice to everyone who worked on this movie when you let shit leak like that and you don't even seem to care about it. Like, they should have stuck to their guns and dropped the trailer at 10 in the morning or whenever they release everything else instead of just being like, well, it leaked. We're going to throw it up now at 3 in the morning. (laughs) Like, come on, dude. It's just whack. And, you know, hiding the doll in the trailers and stuff, it's so apparent what they're doing and not, not showing us it speaking. It's very clear that Mark Hamill joined on like a month ago, if that. <laughs> and then like recorded all the audio for the whole thing. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he's still recording his lines. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they're just like going to dub it in. two months from release, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even that good night, Andy, sounds like he's just speaking into a mic. There's no room noise put under it. Like, it doesn't sound like it's placed well. It doesn't, like, it looks right. like It doesn't have all audio. those, like, extra audio effects that you'd expect to be in, like, a well-produced Hollywood movie. It just sounds like the voice actor talking to a microphone it sounds like yeah it sounds like audio placed over a shot when it's supposed right. to be him saying it <laughs> the doll that's right in front of you and 
I don't know. I I don't like. It's it's kind of insane to me that this theatrical movie with a bigger budget than the Child's Play franchise has gotten in over a decade has dolls that look worse than the ones in the two direct DVD movies that came out over the past few years. Like, talk shit about Curse and Cult of Chucky all you want, because I don't think either of them are that great. But the Chucky's in them looked fine. They looked much better than this one. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that's an issue of just Man City not having any say or any anything to contribute to this movie but it, but it seems like that'd be definitely one of the like high 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 priorities to nail and it and they're <laughs> like you said they're hiding it in the trailer they're hiding it in the posters they don't want to show what the doll looks like and that should be number one or two top priority for nailing in this movie yeah and I don't know. It's going to be really funny when the sci-fi TV show comes out and the Chucky and it looks perfect. Right. They already said they're bringing that back to its roots where it's going to be Chucky terrorizing a kid again. So if they make a modernized retelling of the original Child's Play story with the actual Chucky and he looks right, that's going to fucking just embarrass the shit out of this movie even more. Right. When it doesn't I mean, a huge have budget to with all these actors and this, you know, fresh story. It's just weird. It's it's in this weird limbo. And, like, like, I hope it's good. The trailer was surprisingly good. But I just feel like there's going to be some really major key points in it that are going to be overlooked and, and make it hurt it overall. And, you know, people are saying that they called it the buddy because that's what it was riffing off of in the original movie. Like, yeah, no shit. But <laughs> it's called B-U-D-D-I. They're making fun of Apple. Apple hasn't made a new iDevice in at least a decade, I want to say. Like, the last one was the iPad. Or everything else has been iterative, like new iPhone, new iPad, new iMac, you know, but anything that was really like, (laughs) yeah, Apple watch, Apple pencil, it's (laughs) Apple this now. It's like Mac OS, phone OS. They don't use the I anymore. So you're, the joke is so dated and lazy. It's just like, I guess we'll call it buddy. It's like, come on, dude. Fucking us had a throwaway gag making fun of Alexa. And they did a better job than you're doing naming your doll that is the central focus of your movie. <laughs> like, what a joke, dude. Yeah. So stupid. <laughs> and it's like, I the rest of the trailer got me really excited. Like, I'm pretty stoked to see this movie because I like the setup. I like the way the kids, like, the kids all look. The acting was great in the trailer from everyone involved. It shot better. That trailer had better shots in it than all of The Curse of La Llorona, which is a fucking Conjuring <laughs> spinoff. Like, come on. You, you've got this great movie set up, and you're throwing it in the garbage for a crappy-looking doll. Yeah. That's it, my it, rant. <laughs> it's definitely a, a sensitive topic and a weird situation. But, I mean, I hope the movie's good. Trailer got me a little more hype for it, but we'll, I guess we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to see that Chucky at 30 feet tall on the movie screen and, and just all kind of uh. shake our heads collectively. <laughs> Yeah, uh, people were, I, I, I will say though, I did the, my video, right? And it was like a 99% positive video. I think it's like five minutes long and 30 seconds of it is about how bad the doll looks. And even like, I, 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 you know, I do a lot of child's play videos, so I know who's coming back and commenting like the same people and pretty mm-hmm. much everyone is saying they're like, yeah, movie looks great. Doll looks like crap. I'm still excited for it. And that's where I'm sitting now. Yeah. And I, that's pretty much where I'm at also. Yeah, so a couple more news stories here. First one, Hulu is still 
kicking away at Into the Dark with uh, Blumhouse. They released a trailer for a new episode called All We Destroy. All That We Destroy, actually. And it's tackling Mother's Day. Uh, this one is noteworthy because A, the trailer looked really good. And B, it has Israel Broussard, who plays uh, in the love interest in Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, Carter. So uh, it basically looks like a Happy Death Day type story where they're cloning this girl and bringing her back so he can kill her, I guess. Yeah, so basic synopsis seems to be he's a serial killer, and so his mom creates clones of his first victim so that he can keep killing her over and over again as opposed to going on a rampage and killing more innocent people. So kind of cool. Um, these movies are have definitely been really hit or miss. Um, but the concept for this one seems interesting, and the, the trailer looks good, so I'll check this one out. Yeah, I will too. It's they're like an hour and a half long, and this one actually looked like a movie from the trailer too, which is great. Um, I really like Israel Broussard. I think he's a good actor, and the setup is really cool. Like she keeps making this clone of his first victim, so it's like a drug. He come in, take his medicine, you know, kill this clone, right. and then be on his way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's a and good I mean this, Mother's Day setup. Yeah, and, and the series has definitely had some, you know, some really high highs. Like uh, Puka was great, and yeah, Puka um, was awesome. Uh, the I forget what the uh, New Year's Eve one was called, but that one was pretty good too. Um, so I New mean, Year, I can New see, you. yeah, yeah, I, I can see this one being on on that end of it, being one of the the higher tier uh, these Into the Dark movies, and and I think it's a cool series. I'm I'm glad they're still making them, and uh, I'm excited for this one. Yeah, but now we have to talk about some sad news, George. We usually don't talk about people who pass away on here, but uh, this one seemed noteworthy. Paranormal investigator Lorraine Warren has died at age 92. That's a long life. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Warrens obviously have a pretty uh, tricky public image. A lot of people hate them. A lot of people love them. Um, but, I mean, love them or hate them, they definitely did a lot for the, not necessarily the horror genre, but the paranormal and, and giving people, uh, you know, a community to kind of get together and talk about these ghosts and goblins and everything. It's just kind of cool that they were the figureheads. I mean, you know, say what you will about them, but they definitely brought into the public a lot of the discussion about paranormal stuff. And, and I think without them, there wouldn't be a lot of these shows that we get now, the, you know, ghost hunters and, you know, paranormal investigations and all that. I don't think wouldn't be around without the Warrens. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Conjuring movies, the mainline ones are really good. I really hope that their little museum, I don't, I've never been there. I don't really know the context of it. If you can actually go visit it with all those artifacts and everything, mm-hmm. whether they're actually haunted or not, the, <laughs> the risk of them actually being haunted and then distributed or after, since they're dead now, I really hope this stuff doesn't just get pawned off. I hope it stays in a museum where people can go see it in a safe setting and environment. Yeah, and I think definitely with the success of the Conjuring series as a whole, they definitely have the money to make a, you know, true, full-fledged museum, maybe in their hometown or at their house, you know, make the whole thing a museum, something like that. I think that would be a really tasteful and a, and a cool thing to go visit if they do something like that for all the artifacts that they collected over the years. Yeah, and you can bet your, you can bet that if... Uh you know they do end up selling any of that stuff zach baggins will buy a lot of it oh zach baggins is getting whatever they're selling no question yeah and he'll take care of it so i just thought of that yeah he'll put it in the zach baggins haunted museum it's crazy that you know the conjuring movies blew up into this whole thing 
but you never really saw her attached to it in any way, even though you've got someone like Vera Farmiga playing her. They never really interviewed her. They never really put her on the forefront of commercials or anything like that. But um, I think there I was a few um, behind the scenes, like uh, video clips and stuff that they put out on the DVDs and they came out for Conjuring where it's like talking about some things. But I, I feel like they were pretty, you know, not, not intensive interviews with her or anything. I think it was basically just like a five minute talk about you know whatever or how it was seeing the set and how realistic it was stuff like that not necessarily uh yeah very inquisitive interviews on her life or anything like that i feel like you don't get movies like insidious or you know sinister or you know any of the conjuring movies obviously without her or her husband that's pretty noteworthy and uh 92 though dude that's that's not bad yeah definitely lived a, a really long life made a name for herself you know her and her husband definitely um made a lot of people feel better and and spawned a huge multi multi million dollar franchise that people are still going to see to this day yeah i haven't seen to at least today i haven't seen anyone say anything bad about her i follow this guy named jeff belanger who does this new england legends podcast and he also writes episodes of ghost hunters or ghost adventures which is crazy he uh he said uh some really nice things on twitter but we just thought it was important to talk about since we uh you know we like the conjuring movies so much and ghost hunting and all that stuff yeah um definitely a a major loss but she lived a a full and fruitful life that's for sure yeah so the last couple news stories on here we have the first one is that Stephen King is raving on Twitter about this Netflix zombie series, Black Summer. You know, this this had a trailer come out a couple weeks ago, and I thought I put it on the dock, but I think I took it off because I was like, I don't know, I don't care about this. I yeah. guess this show is a prequel to Z Nation, which was a sci-fi show that lasted five seasons, and it just dropped on okay. Netflix. I heard this is a really good show from not just Stephen King because that's not really a good recommendation because <laughs> it's terrible taste in uh, movies and TV, but... I might check this out now. It seems pretty cool. Yeah, this wasn't really something that was on my radar too much. Um, I hadn't really heard about it until I, I started kind of reading through this, but it seems like it's getting a lot of praise. Um, it's, like you said, a prequel to Z Nation, which I, I didn't watch, but seems to be, um, you know, people seem to like this series at least. Um, I mean, I like a zombie show more than, you know, as much as the next guy. Um, I think if they can kind of make a good gory show on Netflix and, and make it interesting and have zombies in it. I, I'm there for it. I'll, I'll check it out, give it my two or three episodes and see if I like it. Yeah. It, apparently he said, just when you think there's no more scare left in zombies, this comes along. Ex-ex- existential hell in the suburbs stripped to the bone. I like the suburb setting a lot. I think that's underutilized in zombie media. Like even in the walking dead, it's really about how, what they're doing outside of Alexandria and stuff. I mean, I think it would be pretty awesome if, um, like, the intro to the um, Zack Schneider, the guy who did the um, the Day of the Dead remake. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, that intro scene where she goes outside and everything's in oh, chaos yeah, yeah. and all the cars are smashed and people are coming out the windows and killing each other. I mean, that's, you know, just, like, the massive chaos of that scene, I think, is so cool and, and not really tapped into that much in, in zombie movies other than, like, like that like an opening scene to the movie is set up so i think if they have a lot of drama and dialogue and and it centers more around that like the chaos of the whole incident starting i think that could be make for a really cool show 
I agree. I'm going to check this out, I think, later today. I, I've been playing a lot of games on my laptop and then just putting stuff on the TV, and this kind of seems like the perfect show for it. You know, yeah, I don't definitely. have to <laughs> pay attention a lot to the plot or the characters, just kind of watch some cool zombie kills. I think that'll be fun. Um, I heard Z Nation's a cool show, though. I don't. I just never watched it. Yeah, between that and The Strain are two of those like sci-fi shows I've, I've always kind of been interested in getting into but haven't actually sat down to do it, so maybe this will be the, the push I need. There's, did you hear they're making a third Walking Dead show? I did hear that, yeah. <laughs> it's like focusing on two young like teenage girls during the like beginning, the outbreak. And but isn't that I what Fear the Walking Dead was supposed to be? Yeah, it was supposed to be in L.A., and then they fucked it, got all crazy with that, where they, like, <laughs> stole a boat at the end of the second season or first season. They're just riding this yacht down the coast of L.A. It got weird. I think that show was But that was supposed running. to be, like, the same idea, though, where it was, like, yeah. the start of the zombie apocalypse, and it's all these people trying to escape and, and kind of live with their new future of seeing their civilization collapse. But I, I don't I don't think I made it past the second episode of that show. Yeah, so... I watched the whole first and second season and I was like, whatever. But that show is on season five right now. <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah. Um, the Walking Dead is definitely a powerhouse on TV. I feel like that is got to be the most watched non-premium channel TV show. So, what? Yeah, but they keep adding characters from the other Walking Dead show in this like i know morgan was on it for a little bit and they just added someone else so oh, they, so they keep taking to, like, these like yeah. backtrack and put all these big characters in it as an earlier time to draw people in who like the the main series to, to watch some of these kind of spin-off shows yeah so they brought over morgan in season four from the main show and he's like leading the group of survivors yeah, it gets tricky with prequels like that because <laughs> it's like, how are you going to write in experiences that they didn't have in the show originally? <laughs> it just seems weird. Oh, they're, they're, they cleaned out like pretty much the entire main cast. <laughs> That's crazy. Doing a full restructure to keep uh, Fear of the Walking Dead going. Yeah, so what do you think they're going to call this new show? <laughs> Become the Walking Dead? I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, Something stupid. If they're, if they're adding in characters right that uh from the other show it's basically gonna have to end with it with all of them being dead except for the characters who end up on the walking dead regular show right (laughs) just so they can tie them back into the show like the last episode will be basically all the characters and their respective times when they meet up with the group so yeah i don't know i i'm excited the one thing i am extremely excited for is those rick grimes movies i think if that gets real production value, and it's it's Rick on his own, you know, it's him with a couple other people who got away with him when he exited the show. Mm-hmm. So that, you know they really pared down all of the supporting cast he has. He's seen some fucking shit, and if they're they're doing a movie, it's got to have some crazy you know action driven set pieces and everything. I think right. that could be really cool. And Andrew Lincoln, Rick Rick Grimes was the reason to watch The Walking Dead. I mean, de- definitely he was the coolest character. I mean, he was a great actor. Really delivered. Uh, good performance as as rick so he's definitely like the coolest character on the show so if they beef him up have big action scenes take away a lot of the you know seasons long drama bullshit and just kind of make it about surviving or this big set piece or 
you know, not having to have watched five seasons of the show to understand what these relationships are with all these characters and, and just kind of making it fresh and simple, I think that could be a good movie. Definitely. So the last news story here, George, is this is a really weird one. You didn't even know about this when I was telling you, but yeah. DC <laughs> has had a streaming service for almost a year now. Like DC, the comic company, you get like three exclusive shows and you get access to the back catalog of DC comics sort of like Marvel Limited, and I guess they have, like, talk shows or something like that, I guess. I don't know. But anyways, the big thing to really care about with this was they were working on a Swamp Thing show uh, that was being produced by James Wan. And we haven't heard a lot about it, and then suddenly it turns out that the streaming service isn't doing so hot, and Warner Brothers is reevaluating its future, so they cut production of this Swamp Thing show short at the end of episode 10 of its 13 planned episodes. Uh, that's not good. Not a good thing. <laughs> not uh, usually not the best sign for a TV show when they're cutting it up uh, before it's finished filming. But they did release a teaser for it, and uh, teaser looks cool. Uh, you don't. I mean, it, it is a teaser, so it's only like forty something seconds long. We don't get a huge shot of uh, Swamp Thing doing anything. Mostly just his face and the swamp. But I mean, the atmosphere. The teaser looks, looks great. Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere looks cool. Swamp Thing looks good. Uh, I know that this series has been going pretty strong recently like everybody who reads the swamp thing series says it's like really awesome and like the comic yeah the comic is like actually really well wit- well written and cool and and swamp thing is a actually fun character that people you know look over most of the time so maybe this will be swamp things time to shine maybe this will bring people into that buying the dc streaming service i didn't even know existed Yeah, so here's the quote that they put with this article. Local crew members were notified of the unexpected development Tuesday night and were told the project would wrap production on episode 10 and then halt as writers and producers rewrite an ending. Initially, the show was scheduled to film 13 episodes through May, despite the fact that it was premiering on May 31st. And the star, Virginia (laughs) Madsen, she said... I'm beyond sad. What a terrible decision. We have been cut to the core by those who have never set foot into the swamp. That's crazy. Can you imagine editing that? I mean, you can't, but I can, and I would kill myself. That would be terrible. (laughs) I mean, it'd be absolutely crazy to have a show that has one story, and you're building towards something. You think you have 13 hours of content you can build up to. You know, you have these character relationships, and you have these kind of building block moments, and then they say, well, you actually don't get those last three episodes, and you got to finish it now so i'm not just gonna make the whole show feel so rushed and insane that that is like a crazy thing coming down from them but at the same time i get why they need to cut back in some places because uh i didn't even know the streaming service existed so and you like dc (laughs) (laughs) yeah like more than me like like i'm a i actually like the dc movies i don't think batman vs superman was that bad and like i i would go see more of them yeah if they like, I'm excited to see Shazam. I haven't seen it yet, but, um, like, I, I would go to the theater and see these movies, and I, I would consider checking out this service for uh, for a Swamp Thing show, but I just... They haven't done a great job of showing that it exists to people, in my opinion. Yeah, it kind of blew up because the trailer for the Titan show they had on it, uh, someone was like, Robin, are you going to call him Batman? He just, like, looks, looks at the camera and goes, <laughs> fuck Batman. And it's, I mean, like... It, a show like that, obviously, I'm not gonna pay to watch because that looks terrible. But but a Swamp Thing show that's going for a hard R rating, that's dark and violent, based on a really successful comic series. Yeah, I'm into that. I'll watch that. But 
It, it just they seems like they're cutting at the wrong place. Like, cut the they, whole Titans thing God out. Damn it. <laughs> I, yeah, I want to see it. They should sell it to Netflix like they did Sabrina. Like, let Netflix take it over. They're like, we came up with this good idea, and no one's going to watch this show. Please save it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it's like the same thing with the CBS uh, All Access, where they have the Twilight Zone, which the episodes are really good. It's an awesome show. It's really high production values and everything, but I, I don't want to pay for a streaming service for one show. I don't want to yeah. watch, like, one thing on, a, on a, something like that. It just seems dumb. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I I'm not I'm not paying for this DC one. You got like there's no way, there's no fucking way. But I'll watch this show when it inevitably ends up on Netflix. Yeah, I mean hopefully it's good. I you know I've only heard good things about the comic series and and I wish the best for Swamp Thing. <laughs> Me too. So that's it for this week's news segment, George. We're gonna take a quick break and come back with our review of the Curse of La Llorona. All right, we're back from our quick break here. And so this week, we we were a little late on Friday posting, but only because we were like, we could just talk about games, but we wanted to talk about a movie. And then we remembered that The Curse of La Llorona was coming out, despite Warner <laughs> Brothers really not wanting us to know it came out. Yeah. <laughs> so we both went and saw this movie last night. So you saw it before me, and uh, you texted me and said you didn't like it very much. And I was on my way to the movie theater. And I was like, great. That, that's good going in this movie that way. So you get to the movie theater. I go check it out. Like, three quarters in, I texted you. I'm like, this sucks. It's like, <laughs> you, you spotted you like, um, texted over the movie. Big power move. And I was pretty much in an empty theater. But I will say, when I took out my phone, the guy next to me moved over a seat. But, so I put my phone away. I gave the movie a legitimate chance. And I... this movie was terrible like especially coming off the nun i didn't think it could get worse than that and it definitely did you think this is worse than the nun yeah because the nun actually (laughs) like here's the big difference the nun for all the things that does wrong it has the nun in it which automatically makes it better than this movie but (laughs) on top of that it was shot at least in the location of where the story takes place. This movie, so for those of you who don't know, The Curse of La Llorona is about this lady who kills her kids after she catches her husband cheating on her way back in the 1670s. And then after that, she became an old wives' tale to stop kids from disobeying their parents. They'd be like, oh, if you disobey me, La Llorona's going to take you and drown you in the river. And so, like, that's pretty scary to a kid, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, that would fuck and, and maybe up. this movie would have had more impact if you grew up with that folktale, you know, in your life. If you were always kind of scared of La Llorona because you thought that was a real threat, you know, from when you were a kid. Yeah. I could see this being more impactful of a movie, but uh, not growing up with that, not even sure if it was a real folktale they were drawing from or if it was uh, just a movie made up for the Conjuring universe. Um it didn't really hit with me. It was not good. <laughs> There's one big problem all of these movies have where they're built around the scare sequences rather than the monster or the characters of the story. That's why The Conjuring works. I remember, I, this is like Deja Vu. We talked about this with The Nun. They build these movies around like the scares that they can put in the trailer and then they connect them with just the most basic-ass plots ever. It's like you can boil it down. Like Movies like this, uh, this one, Annabelle, create, or Annabelle 1, uh, Ouija Origin of Evil, Truth or Dare, the original Ouija. Like, you can say, 
it's a you're gonna have a struggling non-traditional family you know it might be a single mom it might be something like lights out where the sister is kind of taking care of the brother because the mom has a mental illness you've got this non-traditional family that you can empathize with then you throw in this monster with a sympathetic backstory and then you throw in this older character who's either encountered the monster and lived or they're an expert or they're an agent of the church the family goes to this person they say like i need help he he turns them away and then at the last second he comes in and saves the day and it's like everyone's happy that's the the formula all of these spinoffs follow they they don't try at all but at least with the nun they definitely don't try at all and this one is a a huge uh, indicator of them not trying i mean like you're saying, a lot of the scares in this movie feel like they're in it just so they could cut it into a trailer and sell it. Um, the mythology doesn't really make sense or isn't really explained at all. They have one sequence where they talk about the origin of La Llorona, and then they say like some contradictory stuff where they explain kind of a way to beat her, and then they don't beat her that way, and then like the tools of the trade that the old wise you know, non-traditional priest comes in to help save them. Uh, it, it all feels like really thrown together and th- like through exposition, they're like, oh yeah, this is definitely the key to beating her because we need it to be the key to beating her right now. <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't really understand that. The whole thing, like where they introduce Father Perez from Annabelle as if... I mean, that, that was literally up. just in it to connect it to the Conjuring universe. Yeah, which is stupid and because they don't want us to know it's connected to the Conjuring universe because I feel like they're sensing that people have fatigue of this bullshit they're pulling. <laughs> so, like, they introduce Father Perez and he's like, oh, I'm strong now in the church because I faced off Annabelle, but I'm not going to do anything. You got to go talk to this dude who's works outside <laughs> the church. Cut out the middleman. Just introduce that guy from the very beginning. Right. Like, <laughs> Why do we need these Conjuring like, connections? Because now you have a, yet another bad movie connected to The Conjuring. You have Annabelle, you have The Nun, and now this. That's three movies connected to this franchise that are nowhere near as good as what they're pulling from. And this movie is absolutely full of terrible CGI. They use CGI to show puddles. They use CGI on a pool. They use CGI for the weather. They did a really bad cu- job cutting out a lot of the buildings in the LA skyline. Like This movie <laughs> allegedly takes place in the 70s, but it looks like the best way I can describe this is that it looks like a movie that takes place in the 70s. It doesn't look like you're watching a movie in the 70s. It's like they got the costumes, they got the cars, but everything else is just like, well, we'd have to like repaint this building and like, <laughs> yeah, for the, well, this is just the Curse of La Llorona. Yeah. But the one, going back to what I said though about the nun being better, the reason that's better is because they fucking shot it on location in Romania. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think that probably would have been better if they had it in maybe like a rural uh, town in Mexico or something where it would have been more impactful. Like people around there know the legend or they could build it up better and then make it like a scarier thing. Have, have someone who like encountered her when he was a kid and then grew up like always fearing her. And now he's the, the guy that can finally like face his fears and beat her or something. I mean, I mean there's just a, a million ways to write the movie better. I mean, it's like really poor writing. La Llorona, there's like some okay scares. Like I was kind of into it for the first 15 20 minutes but it, it's the dialogue is terrible um the Raphael, the guy who works outside of the church who comes in only speaks in one-liners and is uh, the worst part of the whole movie uh, <laughs> people love him that's the one thing people are praising i don't understand like he's so cringy you have no time to get to know anyone in this movie except for the mom she does a great job linda cartellini yeah awesome like no she's a really strong linda cartellini she's a really strong actress and she does a good job of selling uh, 
the like bereaved mom who has a lot on her plate because her uh, cop husband died and you know now this is like another thing that she has to deal with and she's very stressed and kind of beaten down and she plays that really well she's the best part of the movie but the movie is not very good at all <laughs> yeah and you know what's stupid another you know what's stupid another thing that's really stupid about this movie every single main character has an encounter with la, la Llorona. no one talks about it this movie could be solved so much earlier if every person who obviously like the mom is so stupid. She sees the burn marks on both of her kids' arms, and then she gets the exact same burn mark, and even after that, she still never brings up, like, hey, did you guys see this ghost lady who grabbed your arm? Like, connect but not, the dots. But not only that, she sees the same burn marks on her kids and herself that she sees on the two kids that she saves in the beginning of the movie. <laughs> so yeah. there's all this evidence that there's something going on, that this is, like, the connective tissue, and whenever anybody says, hey, did you see anything? Are you scared of something? No, I didn't see anything. I was, I was just imagining it. It doesn't make any sense. Like, obviously you all know what's going on, but no one wants to say anything. Right, and, dude, the, like, haunted house sequence at the end of the movie is just so tired. There's one great shot in it where the guy, uh, Raphael, surrounds them with candles, and you see all these candles going down the stairs, yeah. going to them, and there's a big circle. That blows out. That was really cool, and actually done practical, from what I can tell, so it's like, congrats there. But other than that, there's, like, one other good scare scene where uh, the girl thinks her mom's rubbing the shampoo in her hair, but it's La Llorona coming <laughs> in to drown her. That was pretty good. And the other shot I thought was clever was there's one where the little girl has a... Um, clear umbrella and she can only see oh yeah that was pretty umbrella. good too yeah i thought that was really really smart but it's just tired the movie just tired I, I mean i heard a lot of people saying that basically this feels like a parody of a conjuring movie at this point because it's just so i mean it's just using every single trick we've seen in all these movies at this point and it doesn't work you know it, it worked a little bit in annabelle works you know, works better in Annabelle 2, works in the Conjuring movies, but you can't just keep going back to the well and do the exact same sequences with a different villain and expect us to be as scared as we were when we saw The Conjuring. It just doesn't work. I really think this should have taken place in Mexico. The The best, most visually stunning part of the movie was the intro, where it's all gold and they've got this big field and you see this tree with these fire red leaves and stuff. They're like, look at this cool exotic place you've never right. been. That movie's movies like this don't typically go to and then they're like oh sorry you're gonna go to 1970s los angeles but we're gonna I mean, half-ass it as hard as we can i mean even truth or dare had a sequence where they go down to mexico and they go yeah. to like the old church with the you know the, the lady who is like the old priest there or whatever i mean or old nun i mean it, it's just like if truth or dare can do it curse of light your can do it they have four times the budget yeah it feels like they signed on to have this movie made, and then they realized like they don't have anywhere to release it, but they need it to come out before Annabelle three, because <laughs> we keep going back to Annabelle. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, we'll throw it out there and just not make any reference to the fact that it's in the Conjuring." But the the Conjuring uh, callback, they could have just cut that out. Honestly, and it would have <laughs> not changed the movie at all. It could have just been like, "Oh no, he's just a similar actor." Like. I don't know, but another problem is they only had 70 minutes of story for this movie, if that, so there are a ton of just super long expository shots or, like, you know, setup shots where you see this building for, like, eight seconds too long. There's a montage for no reason halfway <laughs> through where they just show you the guy's cross, like, fades in the guy's cross, fades out, fades in Linda Carlini's <laughs> face, 
fades in the. Do you remember that? I was yeah, that, just like, that was really strange. I was like, what is going on? It's <laughs> <laughs> <This is> terrible. <laughs> but I will say, every single one of Raphael's lines got my entire theater to laugh. I don't know why. I was like, this is this is funny to you. I just I this. this... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think the whole thing was a, a pretty big mess, and like you were saying, it's on the same train of uh, like Annabelle one, the Nun, and this are three like very one to two star movies that are in this f- spun off of a franchise that's like arguably you know one of the best modern horror movie between Conjuring one and two. It, it just is sad that like we have these big movies to lean on, and and these are so so subpar in comparison. And that was why Annabelle creation worked. You know, they did it like a conjuring movie. They introduced this, you know, orphanage foster home with a bunch of cute little kids that you care about. You know, you're like, oh man, that sucks. They don't have parents. And Lulu Wilson's just like perfect. She's right. great. The Put most every like horror movie. Most empathetic child actor you could ever imagine. And like <laughs> Yeah. She's like so good as uh Cheryl in uh Haunting of Hill House. I loved her. And she's great in annabelle creation but you know the monster story the the monster's at the center of the story in annabelle creation you know right like annabelle is sapping away at everyone who lives in this house and you know it's like her dying at the beginning really stuck with me but it just doesn't work here i don't know why and it the nun only worked as well as it did for me because i had that context from the conjuring 2 you know it's just right valak is just such a cool character right we get this like character that was scary in that movie and there's even little tidbits and, and tying into that movie at least in um annabelle 2 we get that scene of uh the woman who's from the same church as valak is from and they see the mirror or the picture that has valak in it so it was like even that's like a little like a wake wake nudge nudge to tie it back into that franchise and this just feels like not only tacked onto the conjuring franchise but just a tacked on like m- cash in like they just made it to make money off it of feels it. like a cash in yeah it, and the nun really the nun at its heart is a cash in yeah right definitely. like the the nun though i feel like deserves its own franchise like seriously that villain is so cool but the only difference is la Urana could be a villain of that caliber like the actual costume on this woman they made is great like she looks scary very cool monster design you you just don't have the context of a whole another movie where she's the main antagonist you know right we got all the backstory we need on valak to make her scary already so the nun works a little bit better than this one yeah i, I don't know it's tough i think that they're like roughly on the same level they're both very bad <laughs> yeah and i was thinking about i think annabelle is better than this by a lot <laughs> like, i mean at, at least in annabelle we get like the opening we get the manson murder scene which is cool and kind of puts you in like at least context of feel of like time period and all that uh, and then and the elevator. you get the elevator scene, which like still sticks with me to this day. Like I can still vision that and think that's like a really effective, scary scene. Plus the Annabelle character. I mean, I don't know if that's just because like we've seen her in all the other Conjuring movies, so we get a little bit more feel for like that character as opposed to like she's the star of that movie as opposed to the other like main people in it. So um, we get a little more context for her, but it's just like I don't know it. It's still not great, but at least there's bigger moments in that that stuck with you more than in anything in La Llorona. And La Llorona's setup is awesome. 
the beginning of the movie with int- the way the family is introduced, like the family is introduced in a way that puts them on the same caliber as the family from the first Conjuring to me or the family in the second one. Yeah, definitely. It's this, it's this single mom who's not necessarily struggling to make ends meet because her husband was a police officer who died in the line of duty. So she's obviously got his pension coming in and she's got a job, you know, like she's a CPS worker and she's a good one at that. So they don't go with the trope where it's like, oh, she's poor and struggling, you know, financially strapped, but she's a single parent who has two kids and she lives in LA. Like she has this house where her husband died, but it's really, if you already own a house in LA and you're both government workers, I'd imagine even in the seventies, it's pretty tough to sell a house and move into a new one. So you kind of you feel for this family immediately but the kid acting is so fucking bad (laughs) the dialogue everything you every emotion you feel from the kids is from the mom telling the kids how they feel (laughs) like the little girl is just sitting in front of the window after la llorona fucking grabs her arm and almost drowns her yeah the mom's like mom's like oh you're definitely sad that dad is gone and things are scary in the world right now not as a question she just says it like right. she's like you're scared that things are scary in the world and then she's like oh i have an idea hold this raggedy and doll because we need to use it as a plot device later right it's like, <laughs> like so, so obviously stupid. telegraphed like how that's gonna be a po- yeah. something to use in the future and it just feels like so weak like the whole movie is just insanely weak yeah, and it's like, I, I sort of feel bad dumping on it, but, like, I, I really don't. They didn't even try with this one. The one thing I will say that's positive, though, is that the direction is good, and that's what needed to be good. Like, they handed the director, Michael Chavez, he just got this piece of shit script, and he did what he had to <laughs> I mean, do, He man. did the like, best he, he could it with it. Like, at least it, it works. Like, it's not a great movie, but it's not through any fault of, like, it not making sense. It's just, like, it's more so in characters and writing and everything as opposed to direction i just i hope the conjuring three turns out good because he's a new director coming on and the writer from the first two movies isn't writing the third one i mean and at that point do we even need it like the second one was such a big expansive movie yeah it covered everything you need with the with the warrens and annabelle three kind of feels like a logical conclusion to their story Right, where you, know, you kind of set in their house. It's kind of passed on to the next generation. Annabelle's haunting the daughter as opposed to the Warrens this time, or you know, and she lets like all their possessions out. I, I think that would probably be a better bookend if that movie's going to be decent. Um, I mean, I understand they're going to want to make a Conjuring three, obviously, because those are like the big tent poles of this franchise. But um, yeah, dude, if, it's coming if, out um, September twenty twenty. It's just dated. <laughs> But it's just like, if, if this is going to be the caliber of Conjuring 3, that'll be really disappointing. That we get these two excellent Conjuring 1 and 2, and then the you round out the trilogy with just this, like, phoned-in, weak ending. I, I think that would really disappoint me. I agree. So, I give The Curse of Lot, Yorona, one and a half stars out of five. What do you give it? Uh, I will give it a two out of five. Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend seeing it there's no real reason if you're even if you're the biggest conjuring fan fan there's no reason to check this out honestly the 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 connection is so tenuous uh the movie's not very good and it's it's not even fun to watch it's just boring that's the problem it's boring yeah i mean i think if you're interested at all and it shows up on netflix in like four months maybe watch it but you don't really need it at all you don't need it in your life yeah if you've seen a ouija 
or truth or dare you've seen this movie basically it's like exactly what's going on <laughs> so that's all i've got this week george uh you have anything else you want to add uh no that that's all i had so don't go see curse of la llorona um <laughs> and hopefully we got something better to review for next week 